from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado. You're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and May Timmons. What's up, everybody out there entangled in the interwebs? We're back. CSG Ross Martin is on assignment. We sent him to old London town to cover the Jaguars and the Baltimore Ravens for our special guest that we have in studio. Actually, we're not really in studio, but make his way all the way down here from Thornton. We got the king himself, Jeff Morton. Better turn on my mic. What's up, everybody? Oh, man. <laughs> Almost disastrous. completely biffed this intro, too. Uh, yes, we are at a... Uh, Special location, special undisclosed location. For special location. We have Nuggets general manager Tim Connolly with us. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Professionalism never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> you guys are always on it. Just based it on my shirt, yeah, you know. I'm, I'm starting to think that Ross has something against the Irish. I mean, this is like the seventh or eighth podcast, and this guy's still never shown his face. So. He knew you were a big Ravens fan, so he wanted to get the up close. Have, have the Ravens scoop. made a run yet, or are they still? <laughs> they're they're the, coming back. It's a, it's a sad day for the Ravens. Yeah. I think. The raisins. The raisins. Oh my god! That's a, that is a that is a throwback to like four years ago on the podcast. I accidentally called the. We used to pick NFL called, games yeah. and call the Ravens the raisins. The raisins. raisins? Yes, it's, it's clever. I, yes. <laughs> I, I, I misspoke. And, yeah. 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 I mean, the Broncos get a win today. Yeah. A little better. <laughs> so you're you're fresh off your annual trade with the Utah Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Another one that we've made. It's been a lot of moves. The team is, the Nuggets are going to look uh, pretty different, I think, next season going forward. Not only because of the players, yes. but because of the jerseys. This is true. Yeah, they're going to a, a darker blue. Um, I think the next two years you'll see a, a, a lot of different looks. Um, so the players seem to like it. Uh, the other day we were playing, and um, Gary Harris didn't like it because it looked like he was playing for Michigan. He did, not like the, the, <laughs> yeah. he did not like the blue and yellow. But I think. Um, I think it's a, little, a more neutral color. It's a you know more wearable color. Certainly, um, it, I'd rather wear like a blue T-shirt than that powder blue and stand out. So I think the guys like it. It'll be it'll be a fresh new look, and um, hopefully it's a it's something that the fans like. Well, the uh, the darker blue is a is a good is a what I think is a great touch because uh, it's just as you were pointing out the powder blue. Well, the powder blue was around for fourteen years, and it, it kind of needed a, a new a new era. And I think this was kind of perfect for rolling into the changes that have been made with this off season. You know, kind of to start something new. It was funny because we did uh, not we, but the Nuggets had you know the rainbows, and then with Matumbo and those guys, they went to the navies, and then with Carmelo. We had the powder blue, and now with Jokic, we're going to perhaps have this navy, right? That's a good point, and the that's Jokic a era. that's a that's an Andy Feinstein special right there about uh, about talking about whenever the uniform has changed, the Nuggets have a great season. So <laughs> I like it. I go with that trend. <laughs> but yeah, there's been. I mean, there's a. I think there's a lot of optimism with this team, and there's a lot of I think unknowns as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you've talked obviously about Paul Millsap a lot, but as you've gotten to know him more. Since he is now a Nugget, what what does this guy bring into the table that maybe you didn't know about before? He's just such a normal guy. He's almost the anti NBA star. We went to the Broncos' uh, first game, and it was like going with your buddy. You know, stayed to the last whistle. Um, you know, Ubered. Uh, very easy things that are unfortunately not always the easiest things with professional athletes. You know, those, these guys tend to expect things a certain way. Uh, Paul is just a normal guy who, who's an exceptional basketball player, is a family guy, has completely bought into the team in the city, and has been a fantastic 
role model for our young guys. He hosted uh, 11 of our guys at his new facility in Atlanta. Uh, he's, he's exactly what we had hoped he would be, and, and even better, just a genuinely nice person, a fun guy to be around. Whenever you get into a, a situation where you're where negotiating something like that with with a with a high value free agent, after it's done, any sort of way, shape, or form, is it is it kind of like, you know, we kind of like a, a sigh of relief to to get that like in in like that contract signed, and then knowing that you will have that person on your roster for the next couple of years. It was certainly exciting. Um, he's a guy that we have long targeted in trades um, in free agency. And we knew he was very coveted. I mean, you know, he's one of the elite free agents on the market. So I thought it spoke uh, very positively for the program that uh, Josh and Mo have built, that he was willing to come here. I mean, he did a lot of research on our guys, a lot of research on uh, how we're run. So for him to say yes, you know, it, it made us feel good about how we're perceived. Certainly the, the money was monstrous. And that's when you talk about that level of contract, it's, you have to make sure you're paying it to the right guy. But I think it was uh, – not a sense of relief, more a sense of joy. It's, this is the guy we really wanted. He was our top guy. Uh, he had known a bunch about us. Even when we went to meet with him in Atlanta, he had clearly done his homework. So it just felt good that the fit seemed right on both ends. Yeah, it's kind of so. You look at a guy like Millsap, you know, and he. You think about him; he could play for any of the top teams and immediately make them better. You know, and for you guys, you're looking at the Nuggets, and it's like, okay, it's a young team. Now we add this kind of veteran player who's going to have a certain influence on the team. But, I mean, you guys aren't, you know, necessarily like other teams, like giving up, like, oh, Golden State's going to be dominant forever. Like, you guys are going in with Millsap, an older player that's, you know, really still in the prime of his career. How How is it trying to build this team, you know, because you have the young guys and you have these older guys. You know, you still have Jameer. You have, you have Wilson Chandler still. I mean, Freed's kind of a veteran. Is this team taking shape more now than it, than it did maybe a couple seasons ago? I think with Paul, maybe the best thing he gives us beyond the obvious with his on-court productivity is a pecking order. He's the best player in the locker room, you know, four-time All-Star, a guy that's made it the hard way, you know, second-round pick, played for a legendary coach in, in Jerry Sloan, moved to Atlanta, and all they did was win down there. So I, I think pecking order makes things a lot more clear in the locker room, and that's helpful. So you look at our team now, I think our identity is going to be Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap. Um, and two guys that don't have a hint of an ego, which is refreshing. And I think when the other guys can see that our two best players work like that but don't hold themselves in any different regard than the rest of the team, it's going to be invaluable. So what Paul will allow us to do, hopefully, is allow us to get, he'll continue to show our young guys how to win. You know, I think you have to walk before you run. Last year we took a huge step in that direction. Guys felt what it was like to be in a playoff chase. Guys felt what it was like to be in games that really mattered. Um, so I think we're looking forward to, to the next step, um, winning more of those close games. But Paul will show our guys this is how you have to play to win at the high level. So, uh, I, again, I think he was a the guy we really wanted, the guy that we thought would be the most seamless fit on both ends. And then as a person, he's exactly the type of guy that we, we felt good about bringing into our program. Well, he- at the end of the year, actually, on uh, Locker Cleanout Day, you, you and I spoke, and we talked about how all the decisions will probably be made with Nicola in mind, how going forward that's kind of like a kind of a goal. Do you think that after this offseason, with Millsap included, do you think that with that in mind, is, do you think that evolution is, is still ongoing, or do you think you kind of achieved something, a goal that you wanted for this season? Well, we thought 
literally of all the power forwards in the league, and you know, um, we were hard pressed to find a guy that would fit um, more seamlessly next to Nicola than Paul, uh, with his IQ, with his willingness to share the ball, and not being a ball dominant guy. You know, him playing with Al Horford in the past, there's some similarities with um, Al and Nicola. Yeah. You know, both very high IQ, excellent passing bigs. So we felt for all those reasons, he was a guy that really checked all his boxes. And then defensively, he, you know, he, Paul's not a guy that's going to play above the rim or he's not a rim protector with a shot blocking, but he's been on all league defensive teams because of his instincts, because of his toughness, because of his knowledge of the game. So I, I think on that end in particular, he can have a, a real influence on Nicola because, look, Nicola's always going to have some limitations athletically. You know, we're not, he's not going to jump, have a 35-inch vertical. He's not, he's not 7'1", 290. Um, so if you look at a guy like Paul who's done so much off of IQ, off of instincts, and off of just sheer toughness, I, I think those are three attributes that Nicola has uh, in, in spades, and hopefully he can learn from a guy like Paul. How much have you seen uh, Nicola this summer? Tons. Uh, and he, he was back in Sambor for several months, you know, racing his horses. Um, we had uh, Coach Malone was there, Felipe was there, Steve Hess was there, Steve Short was there, Ogi was there a bunch. So um, I, I think our staff has gotten the fill of Sambor. You know, I, I tell them all these great <laughs> stories about the Croatian coast or Belgrade, and they come back and say, yeah, Sambor is a little different than <laughs> the places you mentioned. But he, he was a uh, – Nicole and his family are really proud of the city, and I actually – our staff really enjoyed it. I think it's a neat, neat city with really good people. Um, Nicola's body looks fantastic. Uh, he's lost weight, gained muscle. He's been in Denver for the last six weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Um, so we're pretty excited about where he's going in the season from just a, a physical standpoint. And there's, there's obviously areas where Nicola can improve, but when you look at his game, it's like, what can he improve? I mean, this guy's awesome. You know, like, where does, he, where does he really need, obviously, maybe defense or whatever, but it's like, how much better can he actually, can we expect him to get? I mean, you guys still expect him to get much better? <laughs> he's yeah, good. I think there's, some, there's areas he can certainly improve upon. He's got to have better handle of his emotions. He'll let one bad play turn to two bad plays, and sometimes that manifests itself into a stupid foul mm. or a stupid shot. Um, I think you'll see his shooting become even more consistent. Um, I th- I, defensively, he has good instincts. Uh, he has to figure out how to defend in our league without fouling and how to defend as uh, not being a uh, you know, high-level athlete. So uh, we're going to challenge Nicola. I think you know, Mo does a fantastic job of constantly challenging those guys and coaching them hard. But we think there's tremendous upside given his age and given his relative lack of playing experience. He has a, a very atypical upbringing. So um, it, it'll be really fun to watch him and, and Paul – kind of get to know each other. But we, we think every year we'll see Nicola become a better and better player. Is, is Millsap the kind of player that will make Nicola better? Absolutely. Uh, Paul and Nicola both were, were not the beneficiary of a ton of easy baskets last year. They were usually ones creating. I think this year that these guys will get one or two more clean, easy field goal looks a game because of, you know, you have the guy next to you has a, a similar level of passing. And a guy next to you wants to make the extra pass and, and turn down a good shot for a great shot. So I, I think those two will be a bear to guard. And we're hopeful that uh, Nicola picks up some of the de- defensive tricks that, that Paul's utilized over the last several years to become a high-level frontcourt defender. 
when you uh, when you look at the kind of the front court as we speak, you know, you got Nicola, you've got Paul Millsap, and then you guys just recently signed Mason Plumley. Right. Is that a uh, plum dog millionaire? <laughs> yes, <laughs> as Bill Hanslick would say. Um, uh, do you when you look at that? Do, is that something that where you look at the three of them and think these guys are? They're set. We don't really need anything much more. This is our front court right now. Yeah, well, Mason's extremely important because of he brings certain things we have. He's big. He's big, physical, and he's a vertical threat at the rim. Uh, he was, you know, was a starter on a playoff team. Um, he's going to have a different role, so there'll be some uh, adjustment to how he plays and, and how he adjusts to that second unit. But we also we really value his aggression and his toughness. Um, you know, last year he, he played the last X amount of games. We had a, a very bad hip injury. Didn't even tell anybody until the season was over. Um, so there's a certain mentality that Mason has I think is vital to us being successful. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a run-through-the-wall type guy. And I think if you look uh, at the teams we're going to have to match up with, you're going to need at least three-plus very good bigs. Now, we're, we're very lucky we have a lot of bigs. It's going to be a very competitive front court rotation I think Paul and um, Nicola are in stone and Mason's are only back up five um, so I think it'll be fun to watch um, our bigs kind of give us an identity so um, we're pretty excited about Mason he came over uh, limited practice time new role I thought he played well um, for spurts and then I thought at times you could see he was trying the adjustment was problematic and it was not as uh, seamless as, as either he would have hoped or we would have hoped. So I think he's um, going to be a huge part of what we do this year. It sounded like, obviously, from, from Mason's letter and you know talking about living out of a hotel and being on the run, I mean, he's going to be much more comfortable this season. So, and you're saying you know, with a hip injury, yeah. he's going to be much more comfortable physically, hopefully, as well, right? <laughs> when, when the doctors called us after the season, I said, whoa, like, how did we miss this? Well, he didn't tell us. So he just had a sore hip. That sounds like more than a sore hip. That sounds wow. like something pretty pretty intense but I, I i think he will be um a, a extremely important guy for us because of his mentality because of a, his kind of team first way i think he's selfless he you know he enjoys making his teammates better and again just physically you know when you walk into the gym it's good to have that guy who, who looks the part seven foot you know 260 can can really elevate and play above the rim uh can be aggressive defensively out in the court. So uh, we're, we're very happy to get him done. It was um, you know, a long summer in that regard. But, like, again, this is his only fifth year in the NBA. So we're, we're excited to see how he compliments um, not just Paul and Nicole, but all, all of our players. Did you guys have any fear? Like you said, it, you, know, you didn't sign him the day free agency opened. It took a little while. Was there any fear that he may try to go get an offer somewhere else? I mean, he had, you had the obviously the restricted free agent status that protected you from... Yeah, there, there was two occasions this summer. One was actually fairly recent that we thought an offer sheet was coming our way. Uh, it never materialized for you know reasons beyond me. But, you know, there's, there's not a lot of secrets in the NBA. Um, so we were very confident one was coming. We, we thought the number, we had a pretty good sense of what it was. It never developed. So, um, in restricted free agency, it, it's a weird deal for the player and the team. Because essentially the the player oftentimes is is forced to look elsewhere, and you're trying to engage a team, and then even if the team really likes that player, they have to convince themselves this is just a waste of time and waste of our money because the team's going to match. So, um, long long answer short, we did think a couple times it was going to come, but it, it never came. Was there a I know last off season a lot of bigs got 
pretty lucrative deals. And then going into this summer, it seemed like that it kind of, uh, they're trying to temper that a little bit. Were you guys pretty happy where that number came in for him? It, it was a weird summer in that regard. Uh, very much so. I, I think relative to his peer group and how he's produced, I think it's a, it's a, it's a fair number. Certainly in free agency, after the first week or 10 days, it was a dead market. And we had restricted rights, so there's different ways you can approach those things. But uh, we have a very good relationship with Mason and his agent. We made an offer out of the box, and you know, we essentially said, hey, it's up to you. You want to take it or not take it? Um, we can continue to talk all summer, but th- this is where we are. Uh, so we had some – those conversations were pretty much every two days. <laughs> yeah. um, he, he's got His agent is, is Mark Bartlestein, very bright guy, very thorough guy, um, and the market was funky for Mason. Um, I think he's aware that he's smart enough to know that a lot of things didn't work in his favor in that regard. But at the end of the day, I think he, I got a deal that he's very happy with, we're very happy with, and he's a core guy. Did they, that, That's a good thing you pointed that out because like the, the center market in the NBA this year was really kind of strange. It's unusual because it's usually a lot more elevated than it was. was it's like every team's like, let's just play shooting guards and point guards. Yeah, <laughs> basically right now it's like, eh, you're, you're, you're over 6'9", uh, I don't want you. Um, but once you reached that point and you saw the way the market um, kind of evolved, was that something that played into your thinking with, with Mason going forward, say like Nerlens Noel ends up signing a, you know, a, a – a, the qualifying offer with the Dallas Mavericks. So it was, was that part of your thinking going on with your, with your uh, contract negotiations or was this kind of like, this is where we're at for our team? Uh, it was a combination. We really value Mason. Mm-hmm. We, we, he didn't want to sign a qualifying offer clearly. And we didn't want to sign a qualifying offer. I mean, it creates a lame duck status for both player and team. Certainly uh, the, you lose all flexibility and viewing him as an asset yeah. you know, to move him becomes much more prohibitive. So, with Mason, we did a ton of research into the market, where it might be. It, after the, f- the first week was generally a pretty normal market, then it just, you know, everything dried up quickly. Mm-hmm. So we, we were trying to figure out exactly what that meant for the future. You, know, you don't want to have any of those albatross deals. Yeah. Um, so our, our guess is there'll be um, a correction next summer. Um, maybe not, mu- not so much... Um, league-wide, because it, we don't know who's going to have free agent money right now. Right now, it's a pretty limited cap of people that have. Yeah. But uh, the ultimately, our view was, say, it's a good player. Let's sign him to a good contract. The guy's happy. We're happy. And we thought his number, again, relative to guys at his position, um, at his age, at his level of productivity, we think it's a, it's a, it's a fair deal for both player and team. No, is there – so Neil Gallinari departs this summer in free agency. Mm-hmm. He signs with the Clippers. Uh, I know just looking at the roster, you know, for us lowly bloggers, <laughs> you know, we're looking at it and it's like, okay, well, small forward, maybe you can maybe plug Wilson in there. Who's behind him? How do you see this team? And then, and then like Jeff had mentioned, you know, you look at the power forwards and you got Arthur, Fareed, and I don't, depending on how you see Wancho and Millsap and Tyler Lydon, how he comes in the mix. How do you see this roster? I know you've talked roster balance. You've been asked that a lot. But uh, how, how do you see that shaping up now that we're getting towards training camp? And- I think it'll be very competitive. We've got a, a lot of good players, and a handful of them won't play big minutes. Um, it's not the easiest thing to deal with because, you know, good players want to play and they deserve to play. But it's also uh, can be a, a blessing. I think we have depth, quality depth. I don't think there's any guys in our roster that would struggle to have roles elsewhere. 
So how we manage those things will be the real challenge. Uh, I think when you look at almost every team, there's going to be roster imbalance in some position. Uh, ours is certainly we're overloaded the power forward position. Uh, I think Wancho will play a lot of three like he did with the Spanish national team. Um, Tyler Lydon is, is a, a guy that's three and a half. We'll, we'll see what he is, but he's a guy that we took for his long-term potential. So we'll see what he looks like, but I, I don't think expect him to have a huge role this year as a rookie. Um, and then you talk about the other front court guys. They're really good players. Kenneth's a really good player. Trey Lyles had an excellent rookie year and, and had a, struggled a second year. He's been fantastic in all-season workouts. Uh, Darrell has always been an injury question. Right now, last year he was fantastic. I thought if if he could have had the same health he had two years ago last year, I think we win a couple more games with his defense and his ability to stretch the floor. So it, it is certainly going to be a challenge, um, both for Coach Malone and the front office. But it's a challenge that will take over the alternative. We have good players and. If good players aren't playing, it generally means they have better players in front of them. You've obviously worked in the league for forever, it seems like, right, since you're a kid, basically. Uh, with a guy like Trey Lyles, like you mentioned, that rookie year, he looks promising. Uh, I know last year I reached out to a couple jazz guys that were like, I don't know, it kind of seemed like he may have just given up or something. And now, like, how do, how do you evaluate bringing him in and what a fresh start might do? And does a fresh start make a difference for guys in the league? No, it, I, we think so. Oftentimes, the second team is where the guy finds his sea legs. Also, with a guy like Lyles, we're extremely high on in the draft. Had a fantastic rookie year. Had a fantastic summer league. Essentially, was untradeable from their point of view. Uh, last year, you have Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw come in, and he had a bad year. He's playing. His minutes uh, fluctuated, and, and when he had those minutes, he'd be the first. He didn't do what he did his first year. You know, his his inability to finish. I thought his shot selection. Uh, but what's crazy is, you know, he's 21 years old. So it's, you know, Jeez. He's, so we kind of viewed him you know, when we were looking um, at the draft, we viewed him in almost the same sphere as these guys. He's, uh, you know, a year older than this guy or he's 11 months older than this guy. So we think there's tremendous upside there. We love his ability to play out on the court as a front court guy uh, against dribble closeouts. Uh, spot shooting. I think he's a very good rebounder when he when he puts his mind to it. And I, I get on him quite a bit in the couple months I've known him. Is, you know, don't just be a skill guy. You know, you're an elite rebounder uh, the junior level Canadian national team. You know, he's 6'10 with no shoes. He, there's everything that you want in a basketball player. He has. But we want to make sure that he doesn't get too cute. That, that, that scrappiness and 50-50 balls and rebounding. Um, so he's been fantastic this summer. Um, I, I think He's extremely fortunate to be around guys like Paul in front of him. Who, who Paul's a little bit smaller than um, Trey. Um, similar level athletes, and Paul's figured out how to be an elite level player, kind of overcoming these things. So it, it'll be really neat to see how he responds to this competitive challenge. We we trade it for him for it to be a, a long term piece of what we're doing. I think you always have to got, have guys kind of in the bullpen and in the kitty lining up behind your current guys. So he's um, he's been great this summer. It starts for real on Tuesday afternoon. So it, it, again, the competitive spirit of camp should be an all time high, and we'll, we'll see who emerges from the, the camp with the minutes. You know the uh, when Gallo left. Did you envision? Jeff didn't even cry that much. I, was, I, I didn't. I was surprised. Uh, when Gallo left, you, did you envision the the roster being kind of the way it is? Because you know Gallo was a swing three four at this point in his career. Same thing with Wilson. 
did you have a vision of guys who could do both of those positions, that the, the wing slash front court position, or did it kind of shape up the, the way it is just because of circumstances? Well, I think we've become um, especially intrigued with two-position guys, not just in the front court. So the 3-4 debate's a great one. Essentially, who can you guard? And, and that's an area we all got to get better in. I mean, we didn't guard many people last year. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, and can you stretch the court as a shooter? So if you can stretch the court as a shooter, a guy like Guanche is a fascinating one. Is he a three or a four? I don't know. He's a forward. With Nicola and Paul, I think oftentimes that the small forward that we talk about a reference is a bit antiquated. The small forward is not the guy catching the wing. It's not Scotty Pippen, the playmaker, a ball-dominant guy. I think our forwards – and this applies to guards as well. They have to be quick decision guys. They have to be guys who can make a shot and guys that can compete on the other end. So a guy like Wancho, you know, first year in the NBA, played, I'd say probably played mostly four in Spain, probably 75, 80% of the time in Spain. He, there was times last year he was exposed defensively, as any rookie would be. Um, so it'll be fascinating to watch how well he can defend those forwards. Because I, I think the, the idea of pure threes, pure fours is, is becoming a bit antiquated. Because just when oftentimes we talk about a small forward, at least I do, like five, ten years ago, you think about the guy who can make a play, you give him the ball, a secondary playmaker, a ball-dominant guy. And certainly that type of player on our team is not what we need right now, given the playmaking we have in the front court. When you when you look at the NBA, like with the way it's evolved too, um, you guys have something a little bit more unique with uh, Nicola, um, where you have a center who uh, distributes the ball in, in a half court, much like a point guard would. Um, how does that kind of filter out to other things that you like look at on your roster? So you know, even going to other positions, do you have that in mind when you think, okay, how are we going to run this, or is it more of a team wide how every piece fits into the puzzle, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question because it guides most of our thinking, and then at some point, I know I've challenged our guys, let's not become so one-dimensional that how does he fit next to Cole? Now that's going to be very important, but Nicole's not going to play 48 minutes and you're going to need some guys to get their own shot. You're going to need some guys when the shot clock is, is going down, they can just get it. And how do those guys complement what you have? But certainly the skill sets, like we put such a huge emphasis on cutting right now. Um, Nicola and Paul and Mason, you know, excellent front court passers, uh, huge emphasis on guys who make quick decisions, catch, shoot, catch, drive, catch pass we don't want ball holders uh, our offense was excellent last year because the ball flew and Nicola's creativity certainly was th- kind of the core of how we played but it's I, I think the lion's share of our scouting is, is going to be greatly uh, influenced by how they complement some of our best players Nicole's one of our, our best young players but I think there is a line where okay we still need some guys just go get it and the guys who can when these guys aren't in the game they can create their own own shot and create their own opportunities for, for themselves or others. So it's um, it's a fun kind of study in how you look at players. Um, but, you know, like anything, you're going to have to have a little bit of everything to be effective in this league, especially in the Western Conference. Yeah. I would think, too, just, you know, it'll, obviously Malone will have to decide this, but you look at Jameer Nelson, Emmanuel Moutier, and Jamal Murray, and for me I'd be like, oh, I, I would think that Jamal Murray is going to be the starting point guard. He's not like a – you don't look at Jamal Murray and immediately think, oh, he's a point guard. Like, he's kind of that tweener player. 
How do you see him fitting if he is? Do you see him as a point guard? I think he's an on-ball guy. I think he's the definition of a combo guard. I mean, he sees himself as a point guard. He's played that much of his life. Like you said, he's not Steve Nash. You know, he's not uh, solely a pass-first guy, but I think he, he has uh, very good playmaking instincts. He likes having the ball. You know, he's not scared to be a setup guy. There's a lot of pressure when you're at that position. But I, I, if you look around the league, I think there's very few pure point guards. I think it's, it's a position that's changed greatly. Just like, I mean, it used to be if you were a tweener power forward, it was a kiss of death. Now you're the most coveted thing in the NBA. <laughs> you play a three, then play the four. I mean, yeah. when, when I first got in the league, that killed you. Absolutely yeah. killed you. Yeah. So the, the league's always evolving, and I think the point guard position is certainly evolving. If you can't score from the point guard position, you're probably going to struggle to win games. Could Jamal Murray, would he be a point guard option if Nikola Jokic wasn't a nugget? Yes. I mean, I think, look at some of the elite point guards in the league right now and how they played in college. They didn't have great glimpses of pure, being a pure point guard. Yeah. And whether, you know, going back, Darren Williams had D. Brown next in Illinois. Uh, Russell Westbrook, every question in the book. I mean, Drew Holiday is not... Uh, was not coming out as a traditional setup guy. So the, the, it's, it's evolved. It's can you advance the ball? Can you play out of pick and roll? Can you make the initial pass? And then there's the guys who are, you know, born to be point guards, the Chris Pauls, the, the Steve Nashes, I think uh, Rubio, guys that f- from jump were setup guys. But I, I think if you look at almost every team, very few of those guys are. The, you know, pure point guards by definition. I don't. I don't think there's probably two guys higher on Jamal than myself or Jeff and. Mentally with him, it, it seems like once he gets down some of the tricks of the trade, it's like like this season coming in. It's I, I'm I'm like man, what is his ceiling even going to be? It seems like mm-hmm. he's limitless. Mm-hmm. What do you what have you seen out of him mentally still as he's been growing in the NBA? Well, he's such a he's such a strongly wired kid. He's got two great parents, great brother, and just, they put such an emphasis. Uh, Roger, his father in particular, about the mental aspect of preparation from um, you know, reading various books about concentration to having this quiet time to really concentrate on, on that evening's game. So he is a, a different kid in a very positive way, just how mentally strong he is and how, how excited he is about the challenge. And there's a physical aspect where he played last year with um, dual sports hernias, so he couldn't do certain things, specifically on the defensive end. He couldn't explode like he wanted to. So he, he chose to play through a lot of pain and a lot of toughness, which kind of speaks to where he is mentally. Mm-hmm. So, like He's still a kid, though. He's going to be at the most talent-rich position in the NBA, so there's going to be a lot of nights where he's going to look like a kid, and I think there's going to be a lot of nights where we're going to see glimpses of, of what we hope to become a special player. Do you ever see – do you see the change with these guys where you're like, okay, now he's like an NBA player, like NBA mindset? Or like, do you see any – like a, a change in them from when they're – you know, rookies or one first second year in the league to at some point, is there something that clicks for them where you're like, okay, they get. Yeah, they get. absolutely. You see the physical maturation and the mental uh, maturation. I mean, I remember last year when I walked in the gym and Gary was 222. I'm like, what have you been doing? Or this summer, <laughs> Manuel walks in two, like I think 201, uh, lowest he's been since junior in high school. The guys start to realize how, how important their body is, how important off season preparation is. But certainly I've seen like Gary got here as a kid. And Gary's a man now. Uh, and he, I mean, he was every bit of kid. And you see how he approaches everything now in such a professional manner. 
and you know it's coming and the, the watching the process can be painful at times because you know the NBA doesn't wait for you to grow up yeah. but if you're incapable of being patient in this league you know eight out of ten times you're probably going to fail if you're lucky enough and we are lucky enough to have patience at the ownership level you're oftentimes going to be able to, to see the story through I mean again Gary's such an easy reference point because he had a horrific rookie year um did not have a great summer league. It was okay, you know, after his going into his uh, second year and just continued to get better and better and worked his, his butt off. And now I think he's one of the real brightest uh, talents at the two-guard position in the NBA. Well, I, I'm a firm believer in um, your leader and best player don't necessarily have to be the same thing. And... Like even going back to the first three championships with Jordan, a lot if you read a lot of accounts, it's Bill Cartwright who was the was the guy who was the guy who was able to galvanize the locker room. Um, in the Nuggets situation, I look at Jamal specifically, and he's a kind of guy that I look at and I think it, who could be a fantastic player, but has a kind of a mentality about him, a lead. Kid that who could be a lead dog. Do you guys, when you looked at him and when you drafted him and scouted him, did, was that part of your thinking when you were like looking at Jamal Murray? Yeah, leadership is so hard to predict, and oftentimes too, it's you know leadership is influenced almost by confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. The bad teams don't have leaders. That, how is that never possible? And the good teams, all you always find a leader in the good team. Yeah. I think there's a an overall leadership void in the NBA as compared to where we were 10, 15 years ago. And also, there's been a lot of great teams that didn't have leaders, didn't like each other, weren't functional, but somehow they were all able to band yeah. together and win championships. So with Jamal, leadership in particular, not so much because we don't think we're smart enough to figure out who can be those guys coming in. But mentality, work ethic, uh, will to win, desire to compete, those things all jumped off uh, the pages in every phone call we had, every interview we had around him. We've put a huge emphasis on getting like-minded guys here and maybe not like personality guys but guys that really care guys that don't have to be led in the gym by their hand that are always working out uh the, the night of the draft this year it was great uh, malik just landed from from china they had a little nba camp in china yeah. came right to the gym and worked out with jamal during the draft oh. we didn't ask him to you can't teach that mm. that's not fake i mean the guy just flew 17 hours so that type of approach and mentality is something that we think will really you know, reward us in the long term. And we have a, a locker room full of guys like that who love to work and love to be in the gym. Well, speaking of and with things with Jamal in the actual the point guard position, which is a, a, un, in the NBA where you have a lot of flexibility, it seems to be a, a position of a become the premium position in the modern NBA. You've got three guys right now on the roster, Jameer, Nelson, uh, Emmanuel Moutier, and Jamal Murray. Is that something much like the power forward situation where you're going to have to see who like comes out on top in, these, uh, in this camp, or do you still see Jamal more as an off-ball player coming into that and let Emmanuel and, and Jameer take care of the rest? That's up to coach and his staff. I, we think Jamal is certainly an on-ball guy. He can slide over the two. I think Emmanuel can also slide over two with his, with his size and his ability to score the ball. So it'll be figured out in the next couple of weeks. But that one's a little less tricky because every team has three-point guards. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, most teams do. Most teams have a third-point guard. Uh, it's, there'll be the starter, there'll be backup, and then there'll be the third-point guard that always plays at some point, seemingly, whether due to injuries. It's one of those positions that doesn't seem like it matters till it matters. And you see all these teams chasing yeah. viable third-point guard can be backups. So um, again, the, what's really great about um, – 
coach and his staff is, you know, there's going to be a competition and the guys who play the best are going to play. And I think when uh, you look at that position in particular, it's, it's not too different than the power forward side because all very talented, but it's, it's more typical. Hey, we have a, we'll have a starter, we'll have a backup, we'll have a third point guard. Can you have too many guys? We argue about that all the time. Yes, absolutely. But on the flip side, and I, I have this discussion with coaches all the time, with our staff all the time, do you look for worse players? <laughs> and I really, I, I don't, I don't know the answer because it's. I, I can't go to a game and say, now you now fit is extremely important. So you can't ignore fit. You can't just throw your coaching staff fifteen talented guys on complement each other. But especially as you get down the roster, let's say twelve to well twelve to seventeen now, right? With our two ways, I, I don't know how to go in a gym and say this guy's better, but this guy be happier not playing. So I, I don't want guys that are happy not playing. I, I don't think that's a recipe for success. We, we want to have 17 NBA ready players. And unfortunately we can, we can only play, you know, nine, 10, 11 of those guys. And the, the next six are going to be unhappy, but that's fine. What we don't want is placeholders, guys that have, that can't contribute in the league that are happy just wearing a Jersey. So it's a, it's a fascinating question. And it's a discussion we have nonstop. I think there's a fine line, um, especially with your core guys, you know, your first eight or nine, there's got to be a pecking order. I kind of referenced that earlier with Paul. I think it's what Paul really brings to is a pecking order. I don't think there's many question what he's done or his, or his resume. But on the back end, I mean, I talk to a lot of coaches about it. Um, you know, Mo and I talk about it all the time. His staff's great. We talk about it. I don't, I don't know the answer, but as a fundamentally, I think I'm a scout. I have a hard time. I, I look at some other rosters, and there's guys, I mean, no disrespect to other teams, that they would, we wouldn't invite him to training camp, you know, um, and, it, and we're not a great team by any stretch. It's not, it's not to pump up our talent, but yeah. we think we have 17 NBA players. Now, they're not going to all play roles this year, but we think they're all good, and we're going to have some unhappy guys this year because they're competitive, they care, and they're talented. So they, they think they can play in the NBA, they think they can contribute, and, and we agree with them. So I don't know what the – I struggle with it, as yeah. you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know one guy that – you know, is it kind of under the radar that's going to be battling for that spot is Torrey Craig. Um, where did you guys, where do you find him? How do you invite him, you know, to the team? How do you get him here? And then you'd like him enough, obviously, to give him that, that camp invite or the, the two-way contract. We were lucky. Uh, my brothers both coached in Australia. Uh, my brother Dan was assistant a couple years ago. My brother Joe was the head coach in Sydney, um, whatever, two years ago, whatever it was. He's been talking about, um, both those guys have mentioned Torrey, but, uh, Joe had talked about Tory, especially with our defensive shortcomings. You know, there's a guy in Australia, two-time defensive player of the year. He's got toughness. He's got athleticism. Um, I went to see him play this year. Uh, with the big change this year was he started making shots. He went from 28, 8 beyond the arc to 40. So now you have this guy that plays, and to me, one of the most physical leagues in the world. I mean, it's, it's a war down there because all these guys grew up playing Aussie Rose football, playing rugby. <sighs> You know, half the league played at universities in the states. So they have very high IQ. So I had watched a lot of Australian basketball um, on TV, but I'd never been to watch a game. And when I went, went to watch Ferguson this year, he played Tory Craig. I just couldn't get over the physicality. He's guarding fours, guarding threes, guarding twos, guarding ones. His defensive versatility. Um, so our staff did a, a great job there. Get more eyes on him. Um, you know, Scott Howard's down in Australia, and our. What's really neat is once someone likes someone, we kind of throw it to the, the group, and everyone's 
giving their own takes. You know, our Taurus, obviously, and Clib, and it, it was fun to see collectively. Everyone's like, "This guy has a chance." I mean, he's got he's got tools physically. He's got legit size, six six nine six seven. He's got long arms. He's used to being physical. He's used to switching defensively, and he's also a very hungry guy. It's not a high pain league down there by any stretch. You know, this is a guy who went to USC Upstate, so. We brought him into Summerlee. He was a, kind of one of our showcase guys for Summerlee. Very excited to have him. But you never know until you, know, you don't know the guy. And then every day leading up to Summerlee, this guy looks, he looks like a heck of a player. I thought he had a great summer league, and he's continued that strong play into the offseason. I'm very confident he's, a, he's an NBA player. It's going to be hard for him to show that at times just because of our depth. Mm-hmm. But he, he's, a, he's a guy we, we view as another really talented young player that we can develop and he, he does things that uh, we struggle with with his ability to, to defend several positions and he does it with a smile on his face and doesn't complain he, he knows who he is so uh, it, it's a neat story and he's a, a very well-deserving kid and coaches has done a great job buying into him continue to develop him and I think there'll be moments this year we can help us and I think as he gets is um, more and more comfortable in the NBA I think he can be a guy that can slowly develop in, into a rotation player. Uh, you have a big uh, decision on the horizon with uh, Gary Harris, and uh, that's obviously ongoing. Is there is there motivation? I'm not going to ask you details, but is there motivation on your part and his part to get a, a deal done? We'd love to keep Gary here forever. He's the guy. Is um, you know we talk about leaders. I think he has a real chance to be a leader this season as, as he be, become more comfortable speaking up and also he's played better you know, when you play better it's oftentimes easier to have a, a bit louder of a voice so we're, we're hopeful we get something done the good thing is if we don't get something done he's our restricted free agent this off season, and, and we'll get it done next summer but he's a guy that really embodies everything about our program you know did not have a great rookie year bought in worked his tail off took the opportunities that uh, Mo and the staff gave him and ran with it um, I mean, his name's been in every trade rumor forever. <laughs> and then he's the first one on the plane talking to Paul Millsap. Uh, he might be the guy most emblematic of who who we are trying to become and the process that will allow us to get there in, in the whole locker room. So he'll be here for a long time. Um, and we're, we're hopeful something gets done uh, prior to that October 16th date. Does he have a different personality when the media guys aren't there? Because he's, was, at least when I was around, was always like super quiet or like, Seemed to know one word answers a lot of yeah. times. Yeah, like he doesn't he didn't open up a lot, but he seems uh, he's very likable. He's great. <laughs> he's got a very funny, dry sense of humor. Again, great parents. His mom and dad are fantastic. Hang around with those two. Um, he's he's witty. He's a uh, very good comedic timing. Um, he's just a pretty chill guy in front of you guys, and he's not boisterous or or, or wild, but he's. Very well-timed comments and humor. He's a fun guy to be around. And again, it's been really enjoyable to watch him grow as both a player and a guy. So I kind of think I'm like, did, does Michigan State like really teach their guys how to handle media? But then you see Draymond Green, and you're like, well, he just, you know, he's a Michigan State guy. So <laughs> I, think, I, think it's, I think it's Joy Harris. <laughs> Look, the, the parents, like, like there were, you don't have to uh, go far to see why Gary's such a good guy when you're around yeah. his parents. And it's obviously like. You know, you said there's not a lot of secrets in the NBA. There's been a, a ton of moves this offseason, a ton of players changing conferences. It seems like everybody came to the West for the yes. most part. It seems like it. Um, rumors, obviously, you guys being involved in different scenarios. Uh, as you mentioned, Gary Harris is, is thrown around. Does anybody ever call about Nikola Jokic? Like, if, you, if you're talking to him about a team, is anybody like, so 
Jokic guy. Well, that's centered there. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple teams call this. I mean, they call all the time, and you know, I joke when they call. I, I think you could probably buy a house here, but you never know. I mean, there's <laughs> as much as we love the joke. There's no one untradeable in the NBA. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's a couple teams call with we're, we're no, but they're quasi viable. You know, okay, he, he's not insulting the guy you're talking about. It's a heck of a player. And one or two teams will call, and you'll say, just walk me through your thought process. Why does, <laughs> why does this make sense for us? Uh, and, you know, we're always very leery. Of not, we don't want to be that team. Mm-hmm. Say, I want to trade our 17th guy for your second best guy. And then if you have to talk the other team into it, generally it's not going to be a successful trade call. So, uh, hey, as the other teams should call, we call about other teams' best players, and a lot of them we know are completely untradeable. We've made crazy calls for guys that we know are never going to be traded. But, again, you have to make those calls on, on the very, very off chance that you have someone that at that moment might be willing to listen. Well, there's always, you know, there's always the the off chance. I guess you got to do your due, due diligence at all times, you know, especially if you like that player. And Nikola Jokic got quite the reputation, at least through the second half of last year. Um, you know, I could see, you know, people huddling together as Offering like three second round picks and see, <laughs> they're a little better than that. But it's uh, you know mo- most times the the team that is watching the young guy improve, they know the kid better than anybody. So, like uh, some teams, they have really smart front offices. They think you can get a guy before he starts to really develop. But we're we're very aware of of not just Nicole. We got a bunch of young guys that are doing everything we've asked and continue to get better and continue to buy in. So it, it would be. Uh, hard for us to get off a handful of our guys. Well, it's kind of an, another thing when you hear, you know, national podcasts or, you know, when they're talking about the nuggets and they're like, well, the nuggets could probably get that guy. They just have to throw in like, I give them throwing like that Wancho guy. And I'm like, throw in Wancho. Like this guy could be a very <laughs> integral throw player him on the pile. No. I mean, but is it, is it hard to, with talented young players like that to, and your approach with the trade offer to, to pull a trigger on a young player where you're like, man, if, if we do trade him and he goes somewhere else, like, you know, if you, if you, for some reason traded Wancho and it's like the, you know, and he blows up and he's great somewhere else. I mean, how do you, how do you evaluate whether it's time to move on from a young player? It's really hard. It's especially hard when a guy like Wancho is everything we want. You know, approach, work ethic, productivity when called upon a guy that after the draft of 2016, 60, 40 is going to be playing in Germany or Spain. Seven months later, he's career high versus Golden State in a win. <laughs> yeah. so I, we talk about it quite a bit. That if you get a guy that does everything you ask and he's talented and he's, he's developing on the course you want him to develop, it, it's very, very difficult to move him because you got one. You know, The whole goal is to get one. Mm-hmm. I think oftentimes, especially the national media, they you know play to clicks and sound bites, but they don't have a real feel for what a lot of our young guys are doing. It's also very easy to just look at raw stats. If, if you don't, you guys know our, our team. You guys know the impact that Wancho had when he played. How he plays with a reckless abandon. The impact he had on the Spanish national team until they ran into Slovenia. You know that buzzsaw. But playing, starting small forward next to two future Hall of Famers. So it's our whole job essentially is to get guys that, that do all those things. And when you get one, you don't want to be too cute. And just treat them as assets. You know, it's not an asset league; it's it's a pro- production league. And I think the national media at times skews a bit too asset mm-hmm. um, heavy or centric. I also think we have to be very realistic where we are in in our growth curve. 
we're not ready to win a championship. So if you're going to start including some of these young guys that we think have a chance to be starters or top seven players on sustainable playoff teams, you have to be certain, and you're never certain, you have to be pretty confident that, that what you're getting back will be impactful enough to kind of overcome the likely long-term imbalance between the productivity of the guy. Sometimes you trade a young guy, and you know he's going to be really good. Yeah. I mean, we did it with uh, Evan. We loved Evan. Right. Loved him. It didn't work out. We had a miserable year. Evan's had a great, great uh, couple years in Orlando. But we did not go into that with our eyes closed. We knew Evan was going to be a really good player. We thought we'd you know, win the next year or two, and it didn't work out that way. But it, it's a difficult decision. When do you cash in some of your young assets? Because at some point, there's going to be attrition. Whether you trade them, whether you can't pay them all, whether they're just unhappy because there's not enough playing time you get to a point where you can cannibalize your own guys. So I think that's when you have to be willing to be aggressive, but you know, pick the right guys. And also, quite frankly, if you have too many good players and they play well elsewhere, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It speaks to the process that we've identified talented guys. You can't have 15 talented guys produce. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah it is funny that some of the national media stories – I mean, the local guys, you guys know it inside out. They'll mention, like, Wancho, like he's, yeah. like he was the 58th pick in the draft. And, <laughs> oh, he's a cute little player. We, we, have, we have very high hopes for Wancho. I think he's going to be an excellent player. Well, speaking of along those lines, we, you had a situation like, with, like that last year with uh, your center position, and you had to make the decision to move on. Um, and it obviously benefited one team a little little more than we wanted it to. But at the same time, you had to make a decision to part ways with that, that player, even though they still had, you know, the titular upside. Mm -hmm. And do you think that when you look back on, on that and you look back on, and you look forward on other deals you want to do, can that be a learning, learning experience for you? Although there's a lot of chance involved with it. Is that a learning experience for you or the, the organization when you look at that specific deal and then you project it forward to whatever you do in the future? Absolutely. The Yuka's issue is never going to be talent. Yeah. And Yuka's a fantastic guy. His struggle here was role acceptance and how he handled the situation and, the, the, at times, a pretty clear lack of maturity, which I, he would be the first to admit. So that when you are in one of those emotionally charged situations and you see one guy taking off and one guy going a different direction, and no one, you know, the way you could play for us last six, seven, it wasn't reflective of who he is, clearly, because he gets to Portland and then had a monster year. So I, I think what you learn from that is you don't want to ever paint yourself in such a corner where you, you've lost sight of a very talented young guy the environment's changed, but I think we got to the point because of um, a lot of it to do because of his inability to accept his new role, but we got emotional. And when you get emotional, I think oftentimes those decisions can cannot be the best decisions. Um, we're, we're very, very happy with Plumlee. Um, Nurk's going to have a great career in Portland. And it's funny, I talked to, we talked to every team in the NBA about Nurk. I was shocked how little market there was. Yeah. I told good friends of mine that if you play Nurk 24, 25 plus minutes, you'll have no issues. Now, if you don't, he's a handful. Yeah, <laughs> he's a real handful. But I mean, he's 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 that good of a player where he needed that. So here it was like we 
you know, for fans that didn't understand, it's like you can't play both guys 30 minutes, no. you know, like, it, and there's, no. it's not fair to ask Nurkic to play. And he didn't 15, help himself because you know? yeah. when those, you know, there was a couple games in particular that he had a chance to really, uh, we had a Lakers loss in LA. I don't know. And it's, um, there's a couple, he could have regained a pretty strong footing. And it, Yuka doesn't have to start, you guys to be involved and feel part of it. So I think retrospectively, there was, there was a lot of things that, he would like to handle differently, and certainly myself as well. You know, I was, uh, you know, you lose sight of the good because the bad becomes so overwhelming during the season. It becomes a, a, almost a snowball effect. So we try to learn from from every trade. We try to learn from every draft pick, whether it was good or bad. What could we have done better? Um, but I think in that situation, it was we had two very very talented young centers. Um, one guy certainly was taking off, and, and one guy was struggling in, in that period of time um, because of I think how um, the lack of role acceptance impacted his play and his attitude it did not help his trade value by any stretch like I said I I called friends like I think this guy's good yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I promise yeah, I'm not trying to sell you on it so I don't think it's going to work out here this guy's a good player yeah and I was I, we've talked about it all the time I was shocked how little um, interest there was and Portland was smart they you know they identified a really talented guy and he's gonna have a heck of a career up there and he's a, a good guy um, I know he, he you know, kind of plays the role of the heel on the way out the door here but <laughs> that Yuka's, Yuka's a different guy between the lines get, get outside the lines he's a sweetheart yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the fun thing about about sports in a sense though is the uh, the soap opera that can be involved and that's set up a, a fun rivalry I think yeah, yeah, it was really fun in Portland that night. <laughs> <laughs> I walked home. It was right out of a. Well, that wasn't fun. No, right out of a movie. Walked home in the in the rain. <laughs> walked crossing that bridge and we went and had a bunch of solitary beers. And said, "Well, that didn't go the way we hoped." <laughs> the, the The upside is again, Yuka's a good guy. He's a good player. He did, did not. Again, a, a lot of things went wrong, but. Thankfully, he's at a place and he's going to be productive. We're excited about Plumley. I think Nicole is going to be the, the face of our franchise for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's never fun to know you have a talented guy and, and watch him excel elsewhere. But on the flip side, it is also fun because, hey, we weren't wrong. The guy's talented. It's yeah. just environmentally it wasn't going to work here. Well, speaking of along those lines about moving other places is that if the NBA was a ship right now, they would be listing to the left with all the people that have, have exited to the Western Conference. They just moved Cleveland into our conference this morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you look at that and think, man, we just signed Paul Millsap and they moved, like all these stars are moving left. Is that just like, does that even enter your mind? Uh, I mean, it stinks, especially... When you look at our division, I mean, the guys we're going to see every yeah. night. So, um, I mean, we're going to see a bunch of Hall of Famers four <laughs> times. But the competitive side of you and, and even the fan side, which I have a lot, I mean, I'm still a fan. I love it. I, I like, I like I, I'll be excited to watch us play OKC. It'd be fired up, yeah. and I hope our guys match. And I, I, you guys know that I always tend to err on the side of optimism. I like our chances uh, against a lot of teams because I think we do have an identity. I think Mo's done a fantastic job of creating a, a team-first brand of basketball. I love our IQ. I, I don't know how you guard Paul and Nicola. You know, uh, we were an unbelievably difficult guard last year. I think we'll be even more potent this year. All these young guys another year under the belt than adding a guy like Paul. So it's 
it's not what you want. You know, I would love Jimmy Butler being traded to Cleveland and Paul George being <laughs> in Boston. And yeah. thank God Gordon Haywood went to. Uh, yeah, I, I was the first guy that left the Western Conference. Yeah, uh, but it is what it is. We can't control it, and we have a long way to go before we can honestly look at ourselves as championship contenders. I think this year we hopefully start to to play a a more meaningful brand of basketball that allows us to start to kind of look at those lofty goals long term but it is what it is we got to play those guys either way they got to play us yeah. i think we'll be a, a tough team to play and i think with our with their iq and overall unselfishness i wouldn't want to play us yeah. do you or how much do you allow yourself to to daydream about how good this team could be i think when you see the the harsh reality that sits in the bay right now <laughs> um and uh, or you, you look at LeBron in Cleveland. It's wherever LeBron is. He's, he's the first, second best team. It's right. just seemingly, you know, maybe the best player of all time. Th- there's a reality check that always kind of keeps you from really daydreaming. But my, this is a view not shared solely by me. It's our team feels it right now. Uh, our coaches feel it right now. We look like a good team. We're, everyone's undefeated right now. We haven't seen what those other teams look like. So, <laughs> again, it, it could just be my yeah. typical area, uh, the overly optimistic and view of the world. But I like our team. Um, I look at our young pieces and compare them to other teams' young pieces. I would not take a lot of teams' roster over ours. I like how a lot of our guys got here, you know, not the easy way. Paul and Nicola's second-round picks. You know, Kenneth from a small school. That no one thought he could make it. Gary, after his first year, was the laughing stock of, of a lot of these, you know, analytic-driven uh, national pundits. Um, I, Jamal, uh, Will Barton was not getting on the court in Portland. Uh, I, I like the the mentality and approach of our team. I like how they got there. And I think we're, I think we're talented. I think we're, we're going to be a difficult team to guard. Certainly, our challenge has been on the defensive end. We have to be more presentable on that end. I think Paul will help. Also, I think a lot of our young guys, it's a mentality as much as anything else. You've got to want to defend, and you have to be willing to do it every night because these guys are all so gifted. But um, I, I think we're pretty good this year. I don't know what that means because the West is a monster. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the team on top of the West might be one of the best teams of all time. I mean, but I think um, I feel extremely confident we're going to be a, a good team this year and we'll be a team that will be very, very difficult to play against. Uh, we neglected one one player who's on the roster, been on the roster. I think he's the longest term. No, actually, it would be Wilson's the longest term nugget now. But the second one is uh, Kenneth Fareed. Um, he's a guy who's also been got the rumors about the trade. Blah blah blah. Do you do you look at Kenneth and uh, as what his role is on on this team? And do you look at him and say we have a whole bunch of evolving roster situations right now? Can he still carve out a niche on this team? Yeah, Kenneth is extremely talented. All he's done is produce when he plays. Yeah. The guy is a production machine. So I think Kenneth's for his ability to finish offensive rebound, uh, kind of a neat static. He was top five in charges taken last year. Uh, his his mentality and approach is fantastic. I mean, I thought Ken had a great line about this trade rumors recently too. He said, it's, um, it's good to be wanted. They're talking about me. I think yeah. it, it speaks to a guy that's had a lot of success in his first um, six, seven years in the league. So I think if we're going to be a team where what we all think we can be, everyone's got to buy in and kind of pull in the same direction. And I think 
Canada certainly could be a, a huge help to what we're trying to do because of things that he doesn't, quite frankly, no one in, in the league does. I mean, he, the guy runs through alley-oops. You know, he sprints the court. Yeah. He throws himself all over the place. He's, he's kind of an underrated offensive player because he struggles to shoot the ball. And he's not a, the most stereotypically uh, looking offensive player. But, man, the ball finds the rim. He's got to get that left shoulder. He's automatic. So I think a lot of his his positive attributes are overlooked because you know it's not right out of a textbook how he plays. But yeah. I think um, if he comes in, which we, we all expect, and we know he will come in with the right approach, you look at the front court guys that we have with a free, with a Millsap, with a Plumlee, with a Jokic. That's a, that's a lot of juice and a lot of guys that bring different things to the table. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we need to we need to talk about movies. And have you had, had any time to uh, movies? Um, I took my daughter to her first movie like six weeks ago, The Minions. Oh, yeah. yeah she was screaming at the screen. <laughs> she she wasn't big enough to keep the seat down. Screaming at the screen. That that robot's not a nice guy. <laughs> so I don't want to, no spoiler already. If you haven't seen the newest Minions, but it's a pretty nasty robot there. Any any Netflix binges? Yeah, um, watching um, Ozark. Yeah, Ozark's killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason yeah. Bateman. That's yeah, a, yeah, a Jason. different role for him. Yeah, slightly. Yeah. <laughs> no horrible bosses. Yes. No, it's not Teen Wolf Two. No, it's, yeah. he plays it pretty much the same though. Yeah, he's you know? pretty. He's pretty. Uh, he's pretty straight. Yeah, it's very Jason. And there's a guy. He's one of those actors. Is always Jason Bateman. You yeah. know. Yeah. And everything he is. Like, yeah, he's had a heck of a career. I mean, he literally is the same character in the rest of development, but he's just now a money launderer. And <laughs> yes, exactly. 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 Same guy. Literally the same guy. Yeah. Watched, um, watched Malik's dad was in a show called Bloodline. I watched the first couple of episodes. That's pretty good. Bloodline is pretty good. Yeah, I've seen and, that. And Malik's father's in there. That, really? It's, it's yeah. pretty good, oh, but man, right. it's rough. That's a, that's a, yeah, that one's not a, a rough show. Not a feel good one either. <laughs> yeah. You know what's really good is uh, Glow. I just started watching I that. love Glow. It's really yeah, good. It's good. No, I did. Yeah. I used to grow up watching Glow, yeah. Um, and I did a podcast with uh, Chris Mannix, and we talked about Glow. And then, like three days later, my little brother sent me a shirt, gorgeous laser rest. And this is like a year and a half ago, before Glow was made into a TV show, yeah. with my name on the back. So it's, oh, like, the, really? it's like the creepiest <laughs> shirt ever, because not not many people know about Glow, and then you have the full name on the back. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I've been watching Gotham. I heard that's really good. It's you know, not your typical because I'm not, I'm not a big. There's people out there who would like live for. These comic things, yeah. I don't. I mean, that's just not the way I, I looked at things. But you're, I will say this: Batman. I'm a big Batman fan, yeah, yeah. and it's not your typical superhero thing because it's like it's more like a gritty crime drama. Yeah, <laughs> one of the, some of the, I had breakfast. One of the guys on the team they were talking about it the other day. Maybe, maybe Trey Lyles is a big Gotham guy. I yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw a pretty good show on FX the other day, Snowfall. I have not uh, seen yeah. that. It's pretty good. It's interesting. Yeah, it's good. I watched like half of that season. Yeah, kind of fell off. It's Basically about how the, the crack academic. He's a track. Yeah, it is. In yeah. early yeah, 80s yeah, L.A. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys seen Fortitude? No. What's that about? Uh, it's about, it's a, like a noir set in. Um, nice oh, word. The, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's got the, what percentage of the audience is it getting I, that I've got, uh, I've got my thesaurus <laughs> yeah. right here. What is it? Yeah. Um, and it, it's uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's in it. Um Michael Gambon and a, bu- a bunch of other you know, bigger actors, and it's a lots of like kind of like a, a crime thing set in the Arctic, and it is it is really good. It starts out with kind of a really brutal scene, but it like goes from there, and it's a very very nice thing. I've also been watching The Tick. 
Oh, yeah, I heard that was good. Did you ever see the cartoon no. in the 90s? Oh, uh-huh. It's really funny. But the, that one is hysterical. It's really good, worth, worth watching. I if went, you have Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, just, I went to Israel to uh, work at camp and um, see our second round pick from, from last year. And I downloaded on the way back Fauda. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. Is yeah. that a Baltimore word? No. no. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it might as well. It sounds like a Boston <laughs> word. It does. Nah, it's about uh, Mossad agents in Israel. Yeah. It's pretty uh, interesting. Yeah. What have you been watching? Very good. Uh, I just started watching Jerry Seinfeld's latest stand-up. I, I saw that. Last night. It's kind of weird. It's not just pure stand-up. It's like yeah. they cut away to some kids stuff with him yeah. or younger stuff. It's kind of yeah. weird. It's like his history. Uh-huh. How about um, I went to watch a movie last night called um, Good Guy. But the closest showing was, I think, Missoula, Montana. I, I read about this this crime movie it's supposed to be great. I was hoping it was going to be somewhere, and it's not playing the Denver area. So, <laughs> really, any art houses out here? <laughs> we'll have a stiff night out if you get <laughs> yeah, it's a good stiff guy. Night, yeah. I think Robert Pattinson is that the guy from um, from Twilight? From Twilight. Yeah. It's supposed to be a really good movie. Oh, really? Yeah. You said stiff. None of us are with stiffs anymore. Yeah, I apologize that I meant that in like a broader <laughs> term. <laughs> It's fine. You, you can edit that. No, it's yeah. fine. No. It's, uh, that is weird. It is weird to see because our, this is our first podcast without stiffless any any association with stiffless. Yeah. A stiffless yeah. podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, yes. it's a lot of ways I can go. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. How about your summer? You guys do anything fun? Yeah, I, I, it's been a pretty boring summer with me. There's a lot of business, different things I've been doing, but outside of that, really. I haven't done much. How about you? Just watching shows, man. That's yeah. all I do. We, we're, we're both working different places now, so it's like, uh, it's too much. You kind of, you know, <laughs> it, you get into the point in your life, you're both, I mean, I, I'm about 40, and uh, I'm to the point in my life where I'm like, I, I'm just working a lot. And then I never thought I would, if you, if you would have said this about me about five years ago, I never would have thought that I would be like, okay, well, nah, I got to get up. In the morning, <laughs> I gotta, 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 gotta do this instead. Yeah, the mornings are unforgiving with kids. There's no, <laughs> like, it's we got one running around right now. He's he wakes up at six regardless. <laughs> They're like alarm clocks. He is. <laughs> my my daughter's a little more casual. She, you can throw TV on and, and fake her out, but he's a, a machine. It's like, hey, daddy, get up. Absolute machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, before before we go, do you want to take any shots at Lonzo Ball for? You know, not talking well about your guy Nas. You know what? Uh, the it's very upsetting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, it, I probably it'd probably be the same thing if I'm trying to think if Rod Strickland said Sugar Sugar Hill Gang was any good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every generation there's certain. Yeah. It is what it is. I mean, I'm I'm a Nas fan, but uh, he's going to be a heck of a player. I mean, his his dad I think clearly knows what he's doing. He enjoys the spotlight. And, um, but I think his son's going to be a fantastic player. Uh, and when you have the microphone in front of your face that often, I'm sure you're bound to answer mm. dumb things or say, I mean, as we can see. <laughs> 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 it is. So um, I disagree with him, but uh, well, yeah. I don't, I don't want to I don't want to be beefing with a big ball. Right? <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I so you look at it and it's like, it's, it's the whole age thing because as you were pointing out, because I never thought I would get to the point where I'm like the, the back of my head, and I see something like a younger person says, and I'm like, "You young person, no, you it's, what are you saying? You're just talking about your scalp." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's 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 actually yeah. It's yeah. Uh, dandruff, and it <laughs> tells me to do this. No. Um. But it's not. It's but it's all part of getting older. And you're, you're like you're you got your memories, and you like to have your memories. I, and, I'll butcher this, and someone can Google. It. There's 
I want to say like Aristotle or Socrates had a quote, essentially like with the way the kids are today, I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow. It's the same complaint every generation has <laughs> every forever. single one. So if he's not a big fan <laughs> of uh, Illmatic that came out in 94, then I respect that. Um, to each his own. I think there's some good artists out now, but... Um, Wilson Chandler's a big fan of, uh, of Nas, so... Wilson's a really bright music guy. Yes, he, he is. He's, he's a fan of so many different genres. He turns around a lot of good music. He's a really interesting guy. His, his Twitter account is nothing but rap lyrics. Oh, really? Yeah, he just yeah. will tweet out a rap lyric, and I'll have to go to Nate to figure out what the heck it was. <laughs> yeah, Jeff will be like, did you see what Wilson said? I'm like, that's a... That's a rap lyric. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. What's New York State of Mind mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But it's, it's interesting, too, watching players just, like, anything that any player posts on social media, like the comments under it are like, please come to Oklahoma City or please come to Chicago. <laughs> well, I don't have any – I have nothing. Knicks. I don't have Facebook. I don't have, I don't have a Twitter. My, I don't have even a ghost Twitter account because I think there's so much there. I don't want to be further influenced or read stuff about me that you will know, end up never leaving the basement. Are, so, are you saying you don't have multiple Twitter accounts? To, I don't have one. I don't have to, anything. Uh, you know, maybe argue with yourself. Yeah, the, noise. <laughs> <laughs> the comments are so brutal. They are. So I can tell, um, my wife has social media. I can tell something really bad was written. Like, how are you doing today? I'm like, I'm pretty good. You sure? Like, guess, <laughs> guess it wasn't a good day on the, on social media for me. But I, at it. Like, I couldn't imagine reading that stuff. But I'll get calls from guys or team. Do you see what so and so put on Twitter? No. And thankfully, I don't, I don't look because it's some of these things they think there's hidden messages. Sometimes it's just a guy writing something random. Yeah. yeah. Very true. All right, well, we'll get out of here. We'll get out yeah, of here. Yeah, we got my son. Going. I know you're depressed about the raisins, but. Yeah. <laughs> you want to say powerful. hi? <laughs> That's a good baritone voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, as well, Tim. We these guys, the uh, just before we close up, we, I asked for a specific time frame that they not come do this. They came at the time frame. When <laughs> yes, we did. Nap time's over. <laughs> <laughs> We're on CSG time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the highway is closed. I'm blaming yeah. the highway. What's the, uh, and still no Ross, huh? Still no Ross. Yeah, Ross is. Uh, Ross is away he's covering the team for you yeah. but one day you will see ross martin it's made up it's made up he's, oh, he's fictitious person. yeah we make the playoffs ross is gonna make a special appearance for playoff edition yeah. I, yes well i will i i, I that's what to, he said, to be yes. fair i did today just today show tim a picture of ross martin so he does know that he there is a man with glasses who it was, it was the picture was far off so it was, <laughs> it's blurry yeah. it's like the Zapruder film like, uh, James Franco and the deuce yeah like two guys alright this this guy you're done he, he really wants to be on the podcast right, he's rapping it he wants us to rap All right, you, you want to say hi got a shy daughter and an aggressive you, son not that good work Amina yeah. dead air <laughs> alright we'll get out of here Tim thanks again for your time thanks, we appreciate Tim. it yeah thanks for having me always fun time Jeff you gotta make it back to Thornton on time I do big parties. All right, guys, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.